praise you. Thank you, God. You're so awesome. Praise God. If you have a Bible with you, let's stand out of respect to the Word of God. Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, starting at verse 15. I'm going to read this one verse of Scripture. We're going to pray, and then I've got uh, somewhat of a lengthy reading after that. I'm going to let you be seated for that. But thank you again for standing, and thank you for all of our guests that here are here, all of the regular members. Uh, praise God. Also, let's look at, again, Genesis chapter 16 and verse 15. It says, And Hagar bare Abram a son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. Look at your neighbor and say, Ishmael. Now, this morning I'd like to preach from this title, The Unwanted Son. The Unwanted Son. Lord Jesus, touch our hearts and our minds and help us to hear from heaven. Help us to hear what your spirit is saying to the church, for this is the hour that you have placed us in your church for such a time as this, that we would uh, be the people of God in this hour that would reach out to this last hour church and this last hour world. And we're asking that you would help us today. I, I believe with all my heart, Lord, you gave me this message. So I'm asking that you would inspire it to the ears of the listener. Those that are hearing today and those that will hear this message online in the future, I'm asking God that you administer to their hearts and lives. Let it change them. Let it change me in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if you still have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 21, all the scriptures I read will be on the screen. But Genesis 21, starting at verse 9, and again, I apologize for the length of this reading, but it's important that you see a foundation for what we're talking about. So Genesis 21 to 9, it says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she born unto Abra Abraham mocking. Verse 10, Wherefore she said unto Abra Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. Notice that. The wife of Abraham, the other wife, because Hagar was a slave and uh, had born uh, Ishmael un unto Abraham, uh, but Sarah was the wife. And so, uh, in verse 10 it says, Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also the son of this bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it upon her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs, and she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were, a bowshot. For she said, Let me not see the death of this child. And she sat over against him and lifted up her voice. And wept. Now look at verse 17. It says, And God heard the voice of the lad. It shows us in verse 16 
that, uh, that his mom began to cry out to the Lord. But in verse 17, it says, God heard the voice of the child or the lad. And the angel of God called unto Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise and lift up the lad and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. Everybody said amen. Now, during the, the interesting thing, and let me again try to lay a little bit of a foundation here, but during the reign of King David, the Israelites joined with a confederacy against God's people, against Israel. And their goal was to destroy them as a nation so that Israel's name would be remembered no more. Considering the current turmoil that you will see in the Middle East, you understand that there is enmity between Isaac and Ishmael or between God's people and the enemy of God's people. It's almost every day you will read in the paper or you will see on the news something happening between Israel and its neighbors. So in short, in short, the ascendants of Ishmael became the enemies of Israel, all right? You have to understand that if you're going to understand anything else to go forward in this message. The descendants of Ishmael became the enemies of Israel. By Genesis chapter 37, we see the judges. In fact, by Genesis 37 and also in Judges Chapter 6, we see the Midianites were arch enemies. And I, I know, I, I hope I really don't lose you, but you've got to get this part. You see, before God called Gideon in the Old Testament to deliver Israel, they had been invaded year by year by year by the Midianites. They invaded Israel every year about the time of the harvest, and they would take their crops. And so the Midianites and what we might consider the Ishmaelites and uh, the Mi other nations in the Middle East, they are uh, prophetically fulfilling uh, a call that God has upon their life. But let's go back for a moment to Ishmael. He was uh, a child, and along with Isaac, Isaac was the promised son that was born, but Ishmael was a child of Abraham, and so was Isaac. In Genesis 17, we see God appear to Abraham. God shows Abraham his plans and tells him that his wife, Sarah, was going to have a child. And at that time, she, he was 99 years old, and uh, she was around 90. And, and so uh, it was virtually impossible for them to have a child. But God said, I am going to give you a child. Notice what God said in Genesis 17, starting in 19. It says, And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him 
for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. Notice 20, it says, And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have a blessing, or I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him. Notice what God is saying to Abraham. I, you, there, there is a coming son. His name is Isaac. He is going to be the son of promise. He is going to be the son of your old age. But he says, as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. God is saying, I am going to bless him and make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall be begot, shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But, God says, my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at the set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So God said, both Isaac and Ishmael will be great nations, and they will be blessed. Everybody got that so far? All right? God said that both Isaac and Ishmael will be great nations, and they will be blessed. In 17, verse 20, I read it again. It says, And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him. I will make him fruitful, and he will multiply exceedingly. Twelve princes shall, be, shall he beget, and I will uh, make him a great nation. So it's hard to believe that God had plans for Ishmael. Because Ishmael was born out of doubt. Ishmael was born because two parents didn't believe that God could do the impossible. And so Ishmael was born into the world. Ishmael was brought into the world. He is the child of doubt. But Isaac is a child of promise, the child of their old age. God even told Hagar, Ishmael's mother, in Genesis 16 and 12, she said, And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall, notice this, dwell in the presence of his brethren. God is telling Hagar, Ishmael's mother, that the child you are going to bring into the world, he's going to be a wild man. Everyone is going to be against him, and he is going to be against everyone else. But he says something powerful. He shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. So why does God allow Ishmael to be a part of God's plan? Why does God allow Ishmael to be part of God's plan? You, you look at the turmoil in the Middle East today, Israel fighting with the Palestinians and the Arab people and many other Middle, Middle East nations, Ishmael represents everything anti-God's people. You, you got that. Ishmael represents everything anti-God's people. Ishmael represents the enemy. Israel represents trials and tribulations. 
The first glimpse we get of Ishmael and Isaac's interaction is when Ishmael is taunting Isaac. That's the first glimpse we get of their interaction. Ishmael is taunting Isaac. Genesis 21, 9 and 10, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even Isaac. So Ishmael didn't need someone to tell, them, tell him that he was unwanted. This was not just the first interaction, but it was the one recorded in the Word of God. I guarantee you that Isaac's mother made it very uncomfortable for Ishmael and his mother. I hope I haven't lost you yet. Sarah wanted him out of the picture. Sarah said, the son of this bondwoman, she didn't even call her by name. She didn't even say the son of Hagar. She said the son of this bondwoman. He is not going to be heir with my son. There's a difference between him and my son. My son is the son of promise. This son is something that is birthed for other reasons. Sarah said the son of this bondwoman will not be heir with my son. She pressured Abraham to make them leave. Now, how many know this, that life is not fair sometimes? Look at your neighbor. If, if you think life is not fair, look at your neighbor and say, life isn't fair. Now, let me go back to a few thoughts here. Gideon would not have become a mighty man of valor if it had not been for the Midianites. I'm also going to say this. There needed to be a serpent in the Garden of Eden. As much as we don't like it, we needed that serpent. That serpent needed to be there in the Garden of Eden. The disciples, Peter, James, and John, and the other disciples, they needed Judas. Remember, by the way, that Jesus was betrayed with a kiss, with the kiss of Judas. If you ever intend on doing or being your best for God, you need to get a revelation about your enemies. Your enemy makes you better. Oh, come on, somebody. Help me out today. Your enemy helps you to be better. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. It says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. You can never learn the true meaning of those verses of Scripture until you experience life with a true enemy. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, it says, For our light affliction, which is born for a moment, worketh for us for far more exceeding eternal and eternal weight and glory. It says what you're going through right now, uh, it is temporary, and it's going to work to a better end. Uh, the trouble that you're facing, the trials that you're in, uh, there's a mission behind it. Uh, there's a job that it has to do. 
in the middle of your trial, you don't see eternity. Did you hear that? In the middle of your trial, you can't see eternity. But in eternity, when you look back and see your trial, you will see the weight of God's glory in it. You will never be the person God wants you to be without your Ishmael. Now, how many know what I'm talking about right now? You have an Ishmael. You have a trouble, a trial. You have a situation in your life, and maybe you didn't call him Ishmael, but he's Ishmael nonetheless. Uh, You will never become the person that God wants you to be without that Ishmael. In biblical terms, uh, adversity is working for you, not against you. And we have got to get that revelation. If you never get that, you will struggle from day to day, week to week, month to month with your walk with God. If you think Ishmael is designed to kill you, Ishmael is not designed to kill you. It might be designed to torment you. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. You see, sometimes God sends tribulation your way. I know you didn't want to hear that either. But even if he doesn't, God will use it. God doesn't send all the trouble your way. He sends some trouble your way because he trusts you. But hear me today. God doesn't send all trouble your way. But if trouble comes your way, God intends to use it. He's not going to let it be fruitless. He's going to use it for his glory. He's going to use it for his honor. And I want you to get this. God sees the end before the beginning. God knows tomorrow. God knows next week. Uh, He knows the end. And yet he still allows Ishmael to trouble you. When I looked at scriptures and I began to see how God said, I'm going to bless Isaac but I'm also going to bless Ishmael. I wondered why God was going to bless that one that was going to be a thorn in Israel's side. God said, Israel needs Ishmael. They need, if they're ever going to become the nation that they're intended to be, they need Ishmael. So God said, not only am I going to let Ishmael live, I'm going to bless him. Now there's some people here that are saying you go you don't you're off the track. You're 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 off the you're off the reservation now. That God is gonna bless my enemies. Yes, God's gonna bless your enemies. <laughs> because God can use that enemy. The Bible says iron sharp as sharpens iron and God can use that enemy to refine you and make you what he wants you to be. You know, uh, Peter, I think, think about Peter. Peter, when, after, after he had uh, denied the Lord, Peter, when he was warming his hands by that fire, and that young maiden or that young girl walked up to him and said, surely you're one of them. <laughs> Peter needed her. And we could kind of begin to do a little bit of a play on words in that. But, you know, she walked up to him, we know, and said, Surely, aren't you one of them? Peter, Peter also needed that rooster to crow three times before he would go out and whip, weep bitterly and change his perspective on ministry. Look at Solomon for just a moment in Proverbs 4 and 7. He says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. 
all the lessons that life are intended to teach you are a waste of time if you don't get understanding. All right, I got one or two people that are agreeing with me. Maybe we should have passed out coffee before church. The Bible says wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. What God is saying, if you're going to have wisdom, you have to have understanding. Understanding goes along with wisdom. And if you understand that Ishmael, although he may be your enemy, he's intended to perfect you, not destroy you. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 says, For a great door. And effectual is open unto me. This is Paul writing. He says, for a great door and effectual is open unto me. And there are many. Somebody say it. Adversaries. What God is saying, I've opened a door for you. Now, if, you, if a door is open, you expect to just walk through it, right? But God is saying, I've opened a door for you. And by the way, there's adversaries. I don't, I'm not sure you're getting it this morning. What God is saying is I've opened a door, but there's adversaries. We don't like the adversaries. We love the open door. We don't like the adversaries. But if that open door is going to really bless you like you intended, it has to come along with adversaries. You need an enemy just like I need an enemy. Now, you probably don't want to hear this, but when, when, it, when an enemy, Ishmael, shows up in your life, it is a sign that God is about to take you to the next level. You need to hear that. When an Ishmael shows up in your life, when a trial and tribulation comes your way, it's God's way of notifying you. Now you're ready to step up, step up to the next level. You've been coasting for a while. You've been going with the flow for a little while. But now I'm going to have you fight against something. I'm going to have you go through something that's going to drive you to your knees in prayer. I'm going to have you go through something that makes you feel like your world is falling apart. I'm going to let you go through something that feels like your whole world is being shaken. I'm going to let you go through something that is trouble in your life and you're going to wonder where God is. But understand this, when that comes your way, God says, I'm going to promote you. I'm getting ready to promote you. I'm getting ready to bless you. I'm getting ready to help you. So understand this, saint of God. We have got to know this. I thought about the Old Testament for a little while the last few days. Did you know that David needed Goliath? David needed Goliath. Somebody would say, why? David also needed King Saul to chase him all around the countryside, threatening to kill him. But I want to show you something. When I begin thinking about this and talking to the Lord about it, David would have continued being a waiter delivering bread, cheese, and wine to his brothers if it was not for Goliath. Oh, come on, somebody. What was David doing before he met Goliath? 
he was delivering bread and cheese. And, and bread and wine, so just let me fill in the blanks a little bit. So, so he, he is a glorified waiter. He's a shepherd and a waiter. That's what he's doing. Dad said, bring this to your brothers. They're down there at the battle. And so David is bringing that basket full of bread and cheese and wine to his brothers. And he, so he is a glorified waiter. And I bet this, this just came to mind, I bet his brothers didn't even tip him. I don't think there was 15 or 20% or whatever it is now. His brothers looked at him and said, what are you doing here, you little brat? That's basically what they did, didn't they? They looked at him and said, you know, you're, you're here just to create trouble. Because when David, as he was on that hillside and he was passing out bread and cheese, uh, you know, uh, by the way, I, I, I feel so, so uh, you know, I've, I've never had to do any kind of waitering or, you know, obviously not waitressing. But, you know, I see those people walking around with that big, huge tray on their, on their hand and on their shoulder. And there have been a few times I've seen that come crashing down. How embarrassing. But here he is. He's got his tray on his shoulder. He's got his apron on. You know, he's walking in with bread and cheese to give it to his brothers. And in the distance, he hears a man, Goliath, saying uh, all kinds of evil things towards Israel and saying, send me a man. Send me somebody that can we can fight one-on-one. -on -one. Let's get this battle over with. And David's being distracted by that. He's, he's passing out bread and cheese. Uh, but his brothers aren't going to fight, and nobody else is going to fight. Uh, and David begins saying, listen, uh, I, I've been able to kill a lion and I've been able to kill a bear. Uh, maybe I should go out and fight. Everybody's looking at him saying, you're just a troublemaker. That's so all you are is you're just a little brat. You're a troublemaker. What do you think? You're better than all the rest of us? David needed Goliath if he was ever going to graduate to be a, a man after God's own heart. Uh, he needed that hour. He needed that moment. Uh, and don't, don't for a moment think that David was just going about this half-heartedly. I, I, I'm convinced he saw the same giant that all the others saw. saw. He saw that same giant with that, that, that huge uh, spear and that huge shield. Uh, he saw that same giant, but David saw there's something inside of me that's stirring up. Is there not a cause? Isn't there a God in Israel that can deliver us today? David became famous because of Goliath. That's what made him famous. And in some eyes, infamous. So we have got to know that God has a purpose in our lives. And it was Goliath that made David, David famous. Israel needed Egyptian slavery and a demented Pharaoh if they were going to get out of that slavery and out of the pressure of being slaves. Now hear this. Jesus was just a carpenter's son, until Satan tempted him. Until you understand that Satan, Pharaoh, and Goliath are in your life to help you become who you are destined to be, you will question God's intentions in your life.
And know this, every enemy is a step stool and nothing more. Every enemy is a step stool and nothing more. An enemy shows up in your life as an indicator that the next stage in your life is about to happen. The devil doesn't necessarily fight you because of what you are doing, but he fights you because of what you're going to become. Besides the tragedy of abortion, taking innocent life, uh, its intent is to steal a future. Your enemy is trying to steal your future. When you look, in fact, I thought of this as well the other day. Did you know that the job of dirt is to try to resist the seed? The job of dirt is to try to resist the seed. Because if the seed is not resisted, it won't break open and it won't begin to take root and to grow when the soil resists the seed it opens the possibility of growth first second corinthians 4 7 through 12 it says but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of god and not uh, maybe of god and not of us we are troubled on every side. I know I read it before, but it says we are not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be manifest in our body. For we which, are, we which live are already delivered unto death for Jesus' sake that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Jesus saw Simon become, becoming Peter before he ever had a ministry. Friends encourage you. Family humbles you. But it's your enemy that promotes you. Oh, come on, somebody, shake your head. That's right. You know, at least give me a Baptist nod or something. <laughs> the baby thinks it's funny. <laughs> but I believe that is so true. I believe it is so absolutely true. The ungod Now, notice this. The ungodly hate the godly. The lazy hate the ambitious. Those who don't have hate those that do have. Am I right or am I just off in left field somewhere? If you want what God has planned for you, it's going to take warfare. you got to decide if you're going to fight for it or not. If you want what God has for you, it, it is going to take warfare. Don't expect to have God's blessing handed to you on a silver platter. It's not going to happen. You will never walk on water without first thinking your boat is going to sink. Am I right or am I wrong? 
You will never walk on water unless you think your boat's going to sink. God allowed Ishmael to survive because Isaac needed him. Israel needed him. When the enemy, uh, in fact, let me ask you this question. What is the enemy of faith? Anybody? Just not Wednesday night, but think about it. What is the enemy of faith? Would you agree that the enemy, or the, the, the enemy of faith is doubt? What if I tell you you're wrong? <laughs> Sorry, Sister Keeper, don't be embarrassed back there. She's a great Bible scholar. You know, she's been in Bible quizzing and everything else, but you're wrong, sis. <laughs> I'm going to explain that in just a moment. So, so when, we, we, when we often think of the opposite of faith, we think it, of it as being doubt. But the enemy of faith is not doubt, it's sight. Sight. You want me to prove it to you? For we not walk, it's the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So the enemy of faith is sight. What you can see with these eyes what you can perceive with your mind. That's what the enemy of your faith is. You're seeing the wind blowing. You're seeing the rain come down. You're seeing and feeling the waves, and your boat is filling up. So the enemy of your faith is what you see. If we will get rid of that idea that we have to see God working before he does work, if we can get rid of that thinking, we will begin to understand that even though we're not seeing it right now, we know that God's still working. God's still building up from underneath. God is still taking care. God is still working behind the scenes. I, all I see right now is my enemy. All I see is the Midianites. All I see is the, the, the storm and the wind and the rain and the turmoil, the, the, the turmoil and the trouble and everything I'm going through. That's all I see right now, but God says stop looking at what you're seeing and start understanding I got your back. Sight is simply appearance. It's view. It's our view of what we see right now and what we're going through right now, but God says you need to just close your eyes and trust that I can guide you. That's the hardest thing for us. We have a hard time trusting God because we feel like we need to be in control. We feel like we need to be in charge. But God says, just close your eyes and just breathe. What's one of the things they tell a lady when she's going to have a baby? Breathe! Right? I've been there. I didn't do that, but I've been there. Breathe. Because when you're in pain, you what? Well, you should breathe. But when you're in pain, sometimes you have a forgetful memory. And you're not breathing right. And because you're not breathing right, you're not only potentially hurting yourself, but you're potentially hurting that baby. If you want that baby to come into the world, you need to breathe. 
I went to the Lamaze classes and all of that. I'm just, anyhow, I never got it. It just, once it started happening, I'm like, I was brain dead. I was like, what in the world is this? <laughs> what got us here? Well, I know what got us here, but. First John chapter 3, verse 2. First John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it do, notice this, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Are, are you getting this? Is this starting to get in? Is it sinking in? I hope it's sinking in. It says it doth not appear. In other words, we can't see what we shall be. But we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We don't see it, but God does. He sees it. He knows it. He knows what's coming around the corner. Your Ishmael is intended to cast doubt on your future. Now, don't take your battles too seriously. It's not about you. But it is about what you're about to become. <laughs> you see, I, 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 I'm going to be forever an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. I am an optimist. Now, that being said, when I'm going through troubles and trials and tribulations, sometimes I kind of squeak back to being a pessimist. But most of the time, I consider myself, I believe I am a, an optimist because I just believe, you know what? What's happening right now isn't the end of the story. That's just the way, Brother Durer, that's just the way I always perceive it. Right now, this is not the end of the story. The whole book has not been written. The whole story has not been written yet. Uh, I know this might be a rough chapter. Are you there? I said, I know this might be a rough chapter. I know this might be a rough, rough verse, uh, but it's not the end of the book. Uh, the end of the book says I'm going to walk uh, on streets of gold, uh, and I'm going to see uh, the walls of jasper and gates of pearl. The, the end of the book says, uh, I am a victor. Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord. Your Ishmael is designed to reveal what's in you. Now, let me give you a little pastoral advice. Everybody ready? Might want to write this one down. All right. This is wisdom per personified. All right. Y'all ready? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready. All right, are you ready? Everybody's ready. You really want me to tell you what this is? No, I think I should hold off. You, you want to hear what it is? This is wisdom personified. Don't get mad at the ATM when you're out of funds. Y'all got that? Y'all got that. Come on now. I can't go on any further unless I know everybody's got that. Because it's not the ATM's fault. Hello? <laughs> if you have insufficient funds, it wasn't the ATM. In Romans chapter 9, verse 13, it says, As it is written, Jacob have I loved. 
But Esau have I hated. I've always struggled with this scripture. And the reason is this, because God is saying, I, I, I love one and I hate the other. <laughs> now, that just blew out somebody's theology. God says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Have you ever wondered why this is in the Bible? Because, and let me fill, fill it in for you, Esau traded his future for a bowl of soup. That's why God says, I hate Esau. I don't believe God is literally saying he hates the man. He's hating the spirit behind the man. He is saying the reason I hate Esau is because he traded his future for a present bowl of soup. And too many of us are, are, are looking at that bowl of soup and saying, I'm so hungry. Or looking at that cup of water and saying, I'm so thirsty. But we're willing to trade our future for the present. But then when God said that I, I love Jacob over Esau, over, uh, over Esau, the reason he was saying, it, this is, and, and although we do not justify Jacob's methods, Jacob wanted his father's blessing so much that he was willing to do almost anything for it. Uh, can I ask the children of God here today, how much do you want God's blessings? Uh, if you really want God to bless you, if you really want God to help you, then you're going to know this. When those trials come your way, they're nothing more than a step stool for the future that God has plan for you. Keep fighting. Keep pushing. Elijah felt alone, but God still had an army of believers. Naaman would have gone home without his healing if it wasn't for a young girl that said, if you really want what you came for, then you're going to go dip yourself in that muddy river. Naaman said, aren't there nicer rivers over there? But, and, and thank God. Thank God for that little voice from that little young lady that said to him, now, Naaman, you've traveled all this way. You've come all this distance. And you know you've got leprosy. You're dying. Your body is rotting away. And, and, and the prophet, although he didn't come and honor you and bow down to you and come and give you some great introduction, it's always so good to have you here. Name it. Oh, I'm so honored. Man, and God basically says, just go tell him to dip himself in a muddy river. Now, listen, you, you know, there's some places I, I love to swim. There's some places I, I, would I, I love to go swimming. But there are places in Connecticut I'm not going to go swimming. Some of them are a few of the places we go fishing. One of them, the water is so green, it almost looks like it's, uh, it's hard to even tell. I mean, you can, you can barely see down more than a foot or so. I mean, it gets like pea soup. It gets so green. In fact, uh, you know, uh, Brother Lewis and I have already promised ourselves that we're not going to eat any fish out of that place because it's just nasty. It's great fishing, but the water's nasty. I'm not going swimming there. I like to go swimming where I can see my feet. Is that okay? 
I know that just gave you some great revelation there, but I like to, you know, even last year, let me, last year I was sitting on the dock in, in New Hampshire, and, and I was just sitting there, and, you know, kids were swimming and stuff like that. And I was swimming there right next to there's like a diving board. Now, I was, I'm sorry, I was sitting there, and I had my feet in the water, and all of a sudden something grabbed my toe. I was thinking, shark? They don't have sharks in fresh water. I looked down. Actually, here's what I thought, because Eric was with us. I was convinced that my son had swum under the dock underneath me, come up and grabbed my toe and just yanked it down. I'm looking for Eric, but he was over there. I looked down, and there's this big old bass swimming away. I mean, it grabbed my toe so hard, I thought it pulled that out of joint. And any of you ever snap your fingers? You know, you pull on your fingers, and you hear that clicking noise. I mean, my toe did not feel right. And so I'm just glad it wasn't a pickerel, something that had real teeth. But it was an amazing thing. I mean, it grabbed my toe, and it just yanked it down. But I want you to think about, here is Naaman. A man that's dying from cancer. And the man of God says, go dip yourself in a muddy river. He says, I ain't going to do it. But this young girl, this voice from the Lord, says to her, you know what? If all it's going to take is to dip in that muddy river for you to be clean, why don't you do it? Most of us would rather dip in clean water, right? But sometimes you just need to bury yourself in some muddy water so you can grow a little bit. Sometimes you just need to dip yourself right down into that muddy pool of water, as disgusting as it is. But when Naaman came up out of that muddy water, the Bible says his skin was like the skin of a baby out of muddy water. It wasn't about the muddy water. It was about the obedience to God. It was about the willingness to do whatever it takes. And I, for one, child of God, I'm here to let you know I'm going to do whatever it takes. Muddy river or no, I'm going to do whatever it takes uh, because God has uh, a plan for me just like he has a plan for you. Know this, that Israel is one of the smallest nations, but it's one of the greatest on the nation, on on the whole earth, all because of Ishmael. Israel always fights back. God knows, uh, God knew the unwanted son, uh, Ishmael, would become the thorn in Isaac's side. He knew that, but God knew that he was going to need it in order for him to survive. Look at Proverbs 24 and 10, if our musician would come. Proverbs 24 and 10, it says, If thou wilt faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. You might want to underline that scripture. Maybe put a little sticky note on that page in your Bible. Notice what it says. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. In other words, he's saying if you give up, you don't have very much strength. Then Joshua 1 and 20, it says, for, for it is of the Lord to harden their hearts. I'll read it again. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle. 
that he might destroy them utterly and that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. Ultimately, God wants you to destroy your enemies. He wants you to destroy your enemies. Would you stand with me today? My message today was about the unwanted son. There's not a person in this room that loves trials and loves tribulation and loves difficulties. But if you understand what it's intended for and what it is going to do in your life, then you can you can bear with it. To go back to the idea of birthing, I don't think that there's ever been a mom that she gets to that birthing room and those birthing pains start that all of a sudden says, I ain't going through this, I'm out of here. know what I'm talking about once you get that to that place that baby's coming whether you like it or not there was a time to say no to that and that was around nine and a half months earlier but when you're on that table that baby's on its way you can't say it hurts I want to go home They're not going to let you go home. And you don't want to have that thing in a cab. You've got to go through it. But I also know this. Every mom, when they hand that precious bundle of joy and put that child on your chest, the pain that you just went through begins to subside as they still continue their procedures and the work that they have to do, that child laying upon your breast, that child laying on your chest, you're looking down at the face of a miracle. And when you look at the face of that precious little miracle, somehow the pain that you just went through begins to subside and you begin to think, my God, ten toes, ten fingers, I know what you moms do. You unwrap that precious little child as soon as you can. You check it out. Are all the toes there? Are all the fingers there? You're amazed at the lack of hair or the abundant hair. Come on, ladies, bear with me for just a minute. You know this is true. The minute that child comes out, you're wondering, do they look like me or do they look like him? If they're ugly, they look like him. In fact, all the way growing up, you can keep playing, Mel, whenever you get a chance. You know this is true, parents. When your kids are growing up, they're 4, 5, 6, 7, 29, 80, whatever. Every time your kids are bad, they're his. It's your kid. It's your fault they're like this. Is that right or not? Come on, ladies. Somebody's going to help me out here. 
We always think somebody's at fault. But what if it's just God's plan? What if we just need to go through it? Because in doing this, God has a greater weight and glory for us. I believe I'm talking to people who are calling, who are called by God, who are elected by God, who are chosen. In fact, I think this, you are chosen by God. You are handpicked by God for this hour. You are the Isaac of today. But there will all be, always be an Ishmael. There's always going to be a thorn in your side. If you wanted an easy road, to be honest with you, whether, it's, whether you're serving God or not, I just don't know of any easy roads. I don't know of any. But I know this, if you're serving God and you're in the church and you're saved, don't expect that the road is going to be easy. Because Ishmael's going to pop his ugly little head up every once in a while just to remind you that you're human. Just to remind you that God is on your side, that he has called you. And he's got a purpose in your life. And so when that tribulation comes your way, when that trial comes your way, you need to understand that that Ishmael is the key, is the ticket to your promotion. So I, I want to open this altar to anybody that would like this morning to commit to God. Lord, when that next tribulation comes my way, Maybe you're in a situation right now. But I'd like to open this altar to those of you that are going to promise to the Lord, I'm going to do my best. God, I'm not saying that I'm not going to doubt. I, I'm not saying that I'm not going to fear, that I, I, I won't question you. Uh, but God, what I'm saying is I'm going to make it. I'm going to commit to the process. I'm going to commit to growing and to maturing. And even as I go through this trouble, I'm still going to commit my life to you. And I'm going to keep serving. This altar is open to anyone that wants to come and talk to the Lord and just make a promise to the Lord. Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to fight through this. I'm going to battle through it. I'm, I'm not going to let the, the, the light, I'm not going to let the things of this life discourage me to the point of giving up. Uh, I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to back down. God, I'm here in this to stay because one day, Lord, you're going to reveal your promises to me. One day you're going to show me what your plans are. Although I may not see it right now, God, although I may not understand it, that Ishmael is to help me to be better. Help me to accept that. If we could have our altar workers come, could you please come and help us pray? There's men and women at the altar. We need to pray and talk with them and encourage them. Be an encouragement to somebody this morning. Lord, in Jesus' name. My God, there's people here that maybe even right now are going through some of the greatest turmoil in their life, and I'm asking Jesus, reveal your glory in them. Touch their lives. Minister, God. Oh, empower them. Encourage them. Lift them up, Jesus. Lord, in Jesus' name, could we have some ladies that would come help us pray as well, please? In the name of Jesus, God. He loves